You're listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest this week is Charlie Safro. Charlie is the CEO and founder of CS Recruiting, a 40-person recruiting firm. She is obsessed with creating company culture around connection and purpose. And CS Recruiting was listed in the Inc. 2023 listings of top workplaces. She's also the loving mom of three boys, always trying to master work-life balance and figure out how to get it all done. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. I'm so happy to be here with you. We're going to have a lot of fun today, but to kick that off, start with telling us your fun fact. My fun fact is that my given name is Charlie. It is not Charlene or Charlotte, and it's certainly not Charles. However, (laughs) growing up, I have always and often been mistaken for a man. Started in elementary school through today. I probably get two or three emails a week that are addressed to Mr. Charlie Safro. So I've just learned to really embrace my femininity as a result of it. (laughs) I think that's great. And you know what? There's probably times you can leverage that. People remember me. That is for sure. And you can walk into places with expectations and then say, nope, it's me. Surprise. Now you get to deal whether or not you would have perhaps not given me the benefit of the doubt or the invitation to arrive had you thought otherwise. So it may open some interesting doors. For sure. I will try that. So let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit more about CS Recruiting. What is your 30-second elevator pitch? CS Recruiting is a third-party recruiting firm. I started it 13 years ago. And as you said, we have about 40 employees today. We recruit in the logistics, supply chain, and transportation industry. And we're focused on making matches between the right people and the right companies, but even more so focused on helping people realize their full potential and helping companies by inspiring them to offer a better workplace for the future. So just to make sure everybody heard that correctly, it's not just general recruiting, but specifically supply chain and logistics. Yes? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So interesting. How did you get into that unique niche? Because I doubt it's something that people go to school for. Like, I want to do supply chain recruiting specifically. My husband was in the freight industry in his first career. He started a business after a few years. And after I did a few years in advertising, I joined him in the logistics technology world. So I all of a sudden found myself in this new space. It's really intriguing when you start to learn about supply chain and realize everything we use, we touch, we consume had to be manufactured, distributed, transported. So I just took a liking for the industry and emerged myself in it, taught myself a lot and found myself recruiting and really being able to build a name for my business because we had such a niche within an industry that a lot of people don't know and don't really understand. So smart and so insightful. And look at that. You've got this massive company now that focuses exclusively on that because no one else thought to do it. So good for you for cornering that market. Tell us something that you wish more people understood about your role, your company, or your industry. And when you're talking to people, what do you see as your role in changing this perception? I think there's a perception of the transportation logistics industry that it is a very rugged 
male industry. And it is. It is male dominated. About 70% of the employees in the industry are in fact men today. But it is a place for women. And I think that is a misconception that we really need to overcome. And that is something that I'm very passionate about speaking on. So just to make sure I'm clear, the misperception is that it's not a place for women because it's male dominated. Rough and tough. Exactly. When people think of transportation, they think of, you know, trucks on the road, terminals, hard hats and warehouses. And all of that is true. But the work in the industry requires strategic thinking and creativity and resourcefulness and relationship building, all things that truly any gender can dominate. And that is part of the role I'm playing is really enhancing the opportunity for women to share their stories, to talk about how they got into the industry, the impact they're making in the industry. Because I truly believe when you share your story, you just can inspire others to follow suit and relate. I mean, I've had so many women say, Thank you for talking about your journey in this industry. It helped me really understand my potential or where I might be able to go, which I previously thought was limited to men. That's really neat to be able to give people inspiration and open new doors and show them, forget opening them, just even showing them that these doors exist to them. And of course, then that they are open and the more opportunities people have, the more exciting life becomes, I think. Exactly. And more balance we'll have not only in the workforce, but specifically in our industry. Yes. If those of us who are in a particular industry don't show other people of whatever diverse background that it exists and why it's a great place to be and how to come and join the ranks, we can't certainly expect them to figure it out for themselves. So kudos to you for being that trailblazer. Now, was there ever a time when you thought you did a great job of explaining something to somebody only to have them look at you with the deer in the headlights look afterwards? What happened? So I actually had a situation like this recently. I have realized over the years that I am a much better leader than I am a manager. So my managing skills are a little bit rusty. I truly only manage one person out of our 40-person team today. And I was looking for some additional support and individual on our team to help me with some of my conference and speaking management. And I inherited a new junior person to assist with this. I was very excited to get someone on my team and As I was downloading her, I was realizing that I was just dumping tons of information to her without a ton of structure, without a ton of context. And she gave me that exact look that you described, that deer in the headlights look, where it taught me I had to pace myself. I had to walk before I ran. I had to take a step back from our scheduled meeting, really get my notes on paper and walk her through it to give her not only the context of the bigger picture and how she's supporting me, but also the micro of where she can support me. So it was a big learning curve for me because here I am managing a large company, talking to clients every day. But when I actually have to hold someone accountable and manage an individual, it just really forced me to take that breath and give her some empathy, put myself in her shoes to realize where she's coming from so she could best support me. And it was a good collaboration. I was very honest with her. She was honest with me. And today we've got a great working relationship specifically on these projects. And was it literally just the physical nonverbal feedback that immediately clued you in like, okay, I need to pause here. Or did she say something to you? No, it was exactly the physical nonverbal. We were <laughs> on a Zoom call and she's taking notes and she's nodding her head. And then all of a sudden I threw something out and I could tell that it was just out of context. I knew more than I had previously shared with her. And so that's exactly what it was, was that body language that helped me stop and reel it in a little bit. It's so hard when you've been in, in an industry and in a company for so long, you forget what's not obvious to everybody else. And that new, like day one, day, week one onboarding, everything is new. You, we forget what's not 
it's not obvious of vocabulary or systems and things. I'm actually in the process of onboarding two new people myself. One started about a month ago and one is starting Monday, as a matter of fact. So I'm trying to really get in my head, okay, how do I pace this? What do they need to know first? And how to gauge really how much handholding each one needs in system A versus system B? What's their comfort zone? I don't want to make too many assumptions that they need handholding, but I also don't want to just throw them into the deep end and then ask if they can swim. We know they have certain skills and expertise, which is why we brought them in. But finding that dance, just that right balance where they feel supported, but autonomous at the same time. Am I just babbling or is this resonating with you too? It's resonating with me. And I'm going to guess that you and I are similar, Laura, in the sense where we hold ourselves accountable. If I set my sights on something, I will get it done. But a big part of management and working with others is holding them accountable and helping them understand why they need to be held accountable. And those are the lessons that were a little rusty for me. Like I can count on myself, but if I'm counting on someone else, I need to give them good direction so they can actually deliver to my expectations. And so for holding somebody accountable, somebody new in particular, how do you determine the best operationalized indicators or or what kind of language do you use with them to figure out what makes sense to you and to them to make sure that those standards, the deadlines, the other deliverables are mutually understood? We are very big on action items. We do not end a meeting at our firm without covering action items, who owns them, who they might need to support them in that ownership, and then obviously a deadline. So that is something that we end every call with. And then we also document it. We use a project management system where it's a checklist with deadlines. So it cannot be more in your face. And it's not micromanaging. It's truly just keeping someone on task and keeping them on schedule. Sure. So ending the meetings with those who, what, when charts of sorts to make sure everybody's clear. It's the recap at the end. That's great. All right. I would love for you to tell me about a time when you needed to assert yourself powerfully. For many years in my business, I believed that the customer was always right. And I will preface that with my early jobs in high school and college. I was in the service industry. I worked at Nordstrom. The customer was always right. And that's how I learned. And when I started my business, I really believed that until a few years ago, I went on a trip with two of my colleagues to visit a new client. And again, we're recruiting for them. We're helping this company find new employees. We had done a little bit of work for this company, but wanted to take a tour of their office and meet their leadership team. And as we were sitting in a meeting with the owner, he made a comment about how the last recruiter he used was disappointing because he brought them a candidate who was handicapped and specifically a candidate that had an ostomy bag, which really triggered me because my father had an ostomy bag and it by no means made him handicapped or any less capable as an employee. And I sat there through the meeting and it was just eating at me that how can we bring this company employees ethically to work for them when this is the owner speaking, this is how the owner is speaking about another recruiter, about some of his employees, and he has no fear in speaking to us about these reservations and just some of these thoughts that he had that I really strongly disagreed with. So we left the meeting, we went back to our office, we downloaded our team and it kept eating at me and eating at me. And then I talked to the two colleagues that I had taken the trip with, and I said, I know he's our client and we have collected revenue from him, but it is not sitting right with me. And I don't think we can continue to do business after hearing the way he feels about his team and his employees. And so I made that call and I broke up with him. And we haven't done that very many times, but every time we have made that decision to really own our power and stand behind the values that we have as an organization, 
it's hard and you have that imposter syndrome and can I really do this? And is this the best thing for the company? But after I did it, hearing my team speak up and support me and thank me and really understanding where I was coming from was the validation I needed. So it's a hard thing in business. And I would give that advice to any business leader that trust your gut, trust your feelings. Certainly revenue is driving your business. And in most situations, the customer is not right. But if something doesn't sit well ethically, do what you feel is the best move for yourself, for the business, for the employees in your company, because you will feel better after as hard as it might be to get through it. It sounds like your team felt in hearing you stand up for the issue, just to make sure that I understood, because there were a couple of he's in there and making sure that who was doing what to where, that the client was unhappy with the previous recruiter because the previous recruiter had brought them a candidate or the candidate had an ostomy bag and they just didn't like that period. He basically said, this is why I'm working with you. I have another recruiter that I've also used for years and I'm not hiring him anymore because he's bringing me handicapped candidates. And when he elaborated what a handicapped candidate was, first of all, by no means should that rule someone out from employment if they're capable Mm -hmm. of a job. But when he elaborated it, it just really, the tone and the way he was talking about this human being who he did not end up hiring for that reason, that Mm -hmm. is what really me off. Right. But she had nothing to do with the person's ability to perform the job requirements at that point. And certainly most likely that person's loss, meaning that the employers lost to have lost a really great candidate. So, but it's great that to be able to stand up then to the client, even though knowing that you obviously lost revenue for doing it, it strengthens my guess. And tell me if I'm right in this is that the team had greater trust in you because they knew that you would also defend them and their honor and to anybody who had whatever complaint towards them. They knew that you had their back first and foremost. Exactly. And just that I was walking the walk. I mean, the way we run our business, we really want people to feel a sense of inclusion and belonging, and we hire diversity and equity. And if I would have let that client talk to us that way and manage us that way, I'm going against everything I say for my own business. So I think that was part of the effect was it felt good for me to do what I thought was right. But the trickle down effect to our team, I think, inspired them and made them believe that I was the right leader, given my courage to stand up against a paying client. Yes, which is scary in the moment, but that just slept a lot better that night after it was done. Exactly. Now, that was a challenge that you took on. Now it's time to levy a challenge to our audience. It's time for our listener 24-hour influence challenge, Charlie. So this is your opportunity to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I believe there is incredible power in the introduction of two people. And so what I would challenge the audience with is thinking about the people in your life who make a difference and who are two people that are in your life that don't know each other, but should know each other and bridge that introduction. It is very simple, whether one of them needs something from the other one, whether they can support each other or they have things in common. I have learned so many times about the power of connecting two people to see what they are capable of together and the difference that you can make as that connector. Being a connector, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talked a lot about that in The Tipping Point, I believe, mavens and connectors and all sorts of other kinds of people. But there are those who are almost compulsive connectors, can't help but have a mental Rolodex constantly spinning. And the moment you meet somebody, you think, 
oh, I could introduce them to this person and this person and this person, whether it's for either or both of their benefits in any given moment. And for some people, that's not necessarily that intuitive, but it's such a beautiful opportunity to sit back and think, okay, who could I introduce to somebody Do where maybe it's a, a person, maybe it's just a resource to introduce them to, but that opportunity to be what, was it Bob Berg who wrote The Go-Giver? who just says, what is the relationship that I can help to cultivate in this? How can I be of service to this person? What introduction can I make for them? How can I give? So I love that, the opportunity to connect more people. And it just makes them love you that much more. And not in the sappy sense of love, but just in the genuine sense of appreciation. How often do you make connections to people, Charlie? I mean, professionally, that is all I do. Of course, that's your job. But beyond that, Yes, I am one of those people with the mental Rolodex. Somebody tells me that they have a friend who's having a new baby. I'm like, I might be able to find your friend a nanny because I have a nanny who has nanny friends. And I'm always just constantly thinking of people I can bring together because I know that together they can probably do something powerful. I think that's great. So, all right, everybody, open those mental Rolodexes. And if you are born after 1990 and you don't know what that is, then your mental contact list or mental whatever, start scrolling on that mental iPhone screen and figure out two people who you really think would have value in connecting. Love it. Now, what is the most nervous you ever felt before a presentation or a speaking engagement? And what communication-related lessons did you learn from that experience? I have been speaking in my career for probably eight or nine years now. And those first couple years were shaky. I will be very honest that it felt like sophomore year speech class all over again. When I got up on that podium, my hands were sweaty. My heart was beating. I was shaking. And what I've really learned over the years is when you speak about something you are passionate about, those nerves go away because you are truly claiming your power and talking about something that is important to you. So in the past six, seven years that I have spoken, I choose topics that are important to me. I speak in front of audiences that are relevant to me, that I can relate to, that I can put myself in their shoes. And that has really helped me overcome all my speaking nerves. I have a little more control now over what I'm talking about, who I'm talking to, but it's really just growing into my power and having the confidence because it's not only what I talk about every day, it's what I truly care about every day. So I'd say the old version of me speaking versus the new version, two very different people. And you just have to own it and gain that confidence along the way. It really does change when you're not just talking to people because you're supposed to talk about something but you're genuinely sharing your passion, something that you believe is inherently important. And most importantly, you believe that that topic will add value to them. And you're approaching from the space of generosity. I mean, it's half of what I love about doing this podcast is being able to share amazing people like you with an audience who's looking for different kinds of insights, wanting to connect, wanting to hear stories, and being able to give that and know that it makes somebody happy, either because it helps them professionally or just makes the commute to work more enjoyable, some nuggets here and there. It's joyful to me to be able to give that opportunity to them and, of course, to you, to connect you with that audience as well. I love the what I like to call it in the book, the four-word secret to confident public speaking is simply, it's not about you. Exactly. It's about them. Yes. People forget that. You know, it's like everybody's panicking that the audience is sitting there like a bunch of high school stereotypical English teachers with a red pen waiting to ding you on every time you say, um, and they're not, they're listening because they want value. So give them value. 
I spoke earlier this week at a conference and I always say, if I can inspire one person in this audience, then my job is done. And you are going to lose people. People are coming because they were told to come. Other people are coming because they truly want to be there. But there's no better feeling as a speaker than seeing the heads nod and seeing that body language where people are actually leaning in because you're thinking about them and what you can offer them. It's not about me. They showed up to hear me for a reason and I want to fulfill that reason. Sometimes I even like to play with an audience when I'll see somebody who's the grumpy one, like the arms folded and the scowl on the face. And I'll just pick that person sometimes inside my head. And sometimes I'll actually articulate it like you, you're going to smile before the end of the day. We're going to find something and you're going to smile. Sometimes that's enough to make them crack up. And then the audience kind of loosens up. But you got to, I don't know, have fun with it. Set a little challenge for yourself. And it just changes the energy of the whole day. It's like you will smile. I'm going to try that next time. Maybe just a little mental game with myself to see if I can get them to crack. Especially if they're there, like if it's a team and they're people who know each other already, because they probably have that reputation of somebody who's smiling. So everybody else is going to laugh at that. Like, oh yeah, do him. And then the minute everybody else is laughing with him, then he can't help but smile. He or she or whoever it is, they kind of smile in spite of themselves. It's like, you're mine. Just know you'll be mine by the end. Got to have some fun with it. Entertain yourself first, right? I love it. Now, you're interviewing people all the time for on both ends of the recruiting spectrum, of course. So what was a time that you can remember when you were interviewing a candidate and you thought to yourself, wow, this person really has it? What was the it? How did you recognize it? Or on the flip side, when they didn't have it, what was it that caught your attention in particular? And you got quite the pool of applicants, literally, to pick from. So what was a really standout moment for you? The it for me is somebody who can show resourcefulness that is smart enough and has enough emotional intelligence to at least try to figure something out on their own. I'm all for asking questions or inquiring and being curious. But when I am interviewing candidates and they show me that they have been resourceful, that they have taken just a few minutes to do their research, to connect some dots that is what is it for me. An example, a couple months ago, we were interviewing for a vacancy on our team. And we had just done events at our company that I had posted about on LinkedIn. And it was a day where we closed our office and we all volunteered. And this candidate brought that up and said, I saw all these posts from your team members about your volunteer day. And this is the type of company I want to be a part of, a company that truly doesn't just say they give back, but they actually do. And that struck a chord with me because it not only showed that this person's values aligns with ours, but they took the time, they noted it, and they referenced it. And I think that is incredibly powerful in any interview, even if it's as simple as going on someone's LinkedIn profile and saying, I saw you were an alumni of this school, or I saw three jobs ago you worked at this company that's always been my favorite brand. Make that connection, show you did your work and that you're mindful of this person in their time. And I think that goes a really long way. I like the fact that you referenced specifically that it was both personal and professional alignment with you, the values as far as it was the volunteering and it was doing those kinds of activities. And they liked that that was part of your company's culture and they wanted to be part of that culture and the work itself aligned in the work ethic and those kinds of things. So that seems like the perfect combination. Just do a little bit of research. It goes a long way. 
It does. It does. And people tend to poo-poo what, okay, well, that's just their social media stuff. No, that's all about you. That tells me so much more than your resume does because anybody can put something on a resume and claim, but it's what your patterns of behavior and sharing and activities and other things are that the patterns demonstrate what your words may or may not claim in the resume. So are we aligned on that purpose? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love that also that was for not just one of the candidates that you were interviewing to place in someone else's company. This was for you. So you know it was really personal and you were going to take this to heart. Exactly. And then in a candidate situation that we are talking to a candidate for a client, we prepare them, but we also encourage them to go do their research and to bring up some of those points in an interview. I mean, a lot of interviewers will gauge that person's performance based on the questions asked. So by asking questions that back up that you've done your research, that you took the time and cared to learn more, again, goes a really long way in any interview setting. A lot of times when I'm helping a client get ready for interviews and those kinds of things, one of the areas that there's the most lack of confidence in is the whole, well, so what if I have to ask questions? Because there's always the point when they say, so what questions do you have for us? They're like, I never know what to ask. Don't you feel like social media for the company or for the person who you think you'll be working for, who's interviewing you, that's fodder. If nothing else, seeing what they've posted is a, a curiosity question, just anything that they've posted. What does it make you wonder about them, about the organization, about the initiatives, about the focus? I mean, feel free to riff on that. What advice do you have? No, I think that social media gives so much fodder and so much opportunity. And it's very easy. And an example, like I said, I saw that you posted about this, which proved to me that they did their research, they cared, they took the time. But then they told me why they cared and why it was important to them. And I think any candidate going into an interview should be asking questions, not only about the company, the position, but also the interviewer. I would encourage people to say, you know, what is your biggest success at this company or what challenges you as a manager here every day? What is your management style? There's so many different things to ask and really unpeel those layers. Not only is it going to help the person interviewing for the job determine if it's the right fit for them, but it is going to help that interviewer see that resourcefulness and curiosity and, again, some intelligence if they can bring these questions and really incorporate them into the conversation. That was great. Thank you so much. You know, I'm going to have you actually repeat those again in case somebody was I can't imagine they weren't paying attention 100%, but in case they were driving or looking at their map or the dog was barking or something along those lines and they missed those questions, give us those example questions again, because I have a feeling people are going to want to write those down. What are some sample questions they could ask to leverage using social media information in an interview? I Something around, I saw that your team did X, Y, Z and ask a question about it and then reinforce why it's important to you, but then also really get to know the interviewer. What is most rewarding or what is the biggest success accomplishment you've had in this role? What are the challenges you face in your position today? What are you looking for in an employee and what should I know about this organization? So really giving that interviewer a chance to do more than just ask questions, I think can open up an opportunity to connect with them, which is just going to build that relationship even further. 
Awesome advice. Awesome advice from the pro coming through and everybody's looking for jobs and opportunities at some point or another, whether it's for a job itself or who knows what other kind of opportunity. So that's solid gold there. Lastly, Charlie, I would love to know something that you do to create a little bit more fun for your team and organization. We are all about fun. It used to be a lot easier to have fun as a team when we were in an office for 10 years together. And in 2020, we made the decision to go fully remote. One of the things we did was we took a portion of our rent budget and we put it towards team connectivity. So these are quarterly events that we bring in different speakers and guests. We've brought in improv instructors, authors to talk to us and really get our team hyped up. But the big thing that we do every year is an annual retreat. And for the past two years, we have taken our team to Mexico for Mm. four days. And what's funny about it is, as we plan these trips, the first year we planned it, we overthought it. We thought we're bringing 40 people to Mexico. We need to make sure they're entertained. And we created these Olympic style games and a scavenger hunt around the hotel and, you know, different activities for every meal. And then we got there and we started out with the structure and we quickly realized that our team just wanted to hang out. And we got that feedback very early and we ended up canceling our Olympic games and our scavenger hunts and our little card games at dinner. And it was the most successful three days a company could ask for with the intention of connecting people and creating more purpose. And it was because fun to our team was simply let us just get to know each other in a casual tropical setting and let us just be ourselves without any forced fun. So I guess my long winded answer there is we do a lot to try and create fun, but we're also very aware of when we need to pull back. And sometimes fun is just being with your team members without talking about work and just having an opportunity to chill together. Yeah, not having to do anything, sit down, have a conversation, learn about who the other people are as people and doesn't hurt to have a fruity drink with an umbrella in it in your hand while you're having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just- on the beach. Right. Exactly. I'll be there next month. I'll see you in Mexico. (laughs) Perfect. Well, Charlie, this has been so much fun talking to you. How can people learn more about you and CS Recruiting? We are on LinkedIn and we would love to meet you there. So if you are in the logistics, supply chain or transportation industry and looking for an opportunity, please reach out to me or someone at our firm, CS Recruiting. If you are in a hiring position and looking to add to your team, we'd also love to hear from you. Please follow me on LinkedIn and I hope you'll enjoy the content we put out as a company. Thank you so much for joining me today, Charlie. Thanks, Laura. And to everybody else out there, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode if this is your first time joining us. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and your platforms of choice so that we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. 
Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.